The Rugby World Cup has an Asian quarter-finalist for the first time. And Japan have done it at the expense of Scotland. A World Cup thriller. And if sport has the power to heal, then this might just be a win to gladden the hearts of a nation that is hurting right now. Drama at the Rugby World Cup. A massive, deadly typhoon hits Japan during its showcase sporting event. Games are cancelled for the first time in history. There are gobsmacking threats of court action. Then it's all back on again, and the host nation plays its way into the quarterfinals. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today on The Detail, has the game of rugby really made its way into the hearts of the Japanese? And what does the Brave Blossom success really mean after such a horrendous weekend? RNZ Rugby reporter Joe Porter is there. An absolutely bizarre weekend in many ways. I was in Tokyo and Shibuya in central Tokyo when the typhoon hit and sitting here watching all the pictures on TV of the Chiba Prefecture and other parts of the country, Shizuoka, where millions of people were evacuated due to flooding and landslides. There was a mini tornado tornado that even hit in Chiba, causing all sorts of damage. Whereas in Tokyo, it was somewhat surreal because it was very, very wet, of course. There was a lot of strong wind, but it didn't feel anything worse than a bad day in Wellington in winter. So it was quite a strange feeling watching all the damage that was occurring around us while being somewhat sheltered from it. And to wake up the next day and have bright sunny skies and 28 degree temperatures and barely a breath of wind was also quite strange as well. Um, and it's hard to, hard to imagine that, you know, at least 35 people have been killed by this massive typhoon Hajibis, which of course um, is a very, very tragic event. And, and, and it was really, really, kind of, I guess, hard to get a gauge of, of how that had happened when we were so isolated from it. But, of course, a great weekend for rugby. The, uh, the Scotland-Japan game went ahead despite the typhoon having come through the night before in Yokohama, which was, which was a wonderful result for all involved. Of course, the Scots being a bit whingy and threatening legal action should the game not go ahead. And now they've been beaten by the Japanese who have qualified top of Pool A, an outstanding result. You would never get a better atmosphere in a rugby ground. You wouldn't get a better atmosphere within a, within a pub. It was just a fantastic effort from the Brave Blossoms to qualify top of full day, beating Ireland and Scotland on the way, beating Ireland for the first time in history and Scotland for the first time. So incredible result for Japan and their Kiwi-born coach, Jamie Joseph, and they've really set this tournament alight, and it's been yeah, a wonderful weekend of rugby, of course, for the Brave Blossoms. And, and last night was yeah, just something mm. fantastic to be a part of. And, Joe, the, it was a major effort, wasn't it, for the game to go ahead? That's right, yes. They had inspectors um, in the ground, of course, early in the morning, making sure that there'd been no structural damage to the stadium down in Yokohama, and thank goodness there hasn't been, because, of course, it's the venue for the semi-final and the final as well. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of work went in for, from organisers getting the trains back up and running. For, the Japan public transport system had shut down for... 24 hours from about 11am on Saturday, the day of the typhoon. So to get that back up and working, to make sure everyone could get to the games, to clear any of the trees that were down on the lines, to make sure the flooding, because a lot of rivers around the, the larger sort of Tokyo metropolitan area had been flooded. A couple of dams had to be open in case they were going to burst. So yeah, a huge, a huge effort from organisers and everyone involved to get that game going ahead. And, and what a fantastic and fitting way it was to finish the weekend. And I hope for the Japanese people, while of course not taking anything away from the tragedy and sport paling in comparison to what happened during Typhoon Hajibis, uh, a bright note for Japanese supporters to end the weekend with a very, very famous victory, making history, of course, reaching the quarterfinals at a World Cup for the very first time. Yeah, which is amazing. Um, I watched the 15-minute press interview with Jamie Joseph and Michael Leach afterwards. When we woke up this morning, um, 19 people were killed in the typhoon. 
there was a further 12 people missing or still missing. And um, we talked about that as a team. Sometimes those um, sorts of things can be overwhelming. But I think that came out in the match today, particularly in times when it was really, really tough. So whilst we're celebrating about um, our victory, there are a lot of people that are really suffering and that really helped our players uh, today. Yeah, this game was uh, was more than just us. You know, there was a lot of people out there that are suffering from the typhoon. So, um, you know, first of all, for this game to happen, and there was a lot of people that uh, you know did a lot of hard work. Um, you know, guys up last night uh, out with sponges sweeping the um, the ground. So, um, you know, this is just another opportunity. We're grateful for the opportunity to inspire Japan. Yeah, it was uh, something that motivated them. They didn't sort of. You know, avoid it. Talking about it as a team. Sometimes those things can have a negative influence on, on a team, especially if people have relations or family or friends or anyone they know involved in the tragedy or have been caught up in the tragedy. More than a million people evacuated around Japan, so certainly very unsettling for a lot of people. But they embraced that. They embraced the challenges and the difficulties, and I guess what had happened the night before, and used it as motivation, really wanting to put in a performance for all of Japan, not just for themselves that day. Japan the winners, Japan the quarter-finalists, they will top the pool, and they will play South Africa in the last eight of the Rugby World Cup. Japan, 28, Scotland, 21. You can't help but think that the whole of Japan was behind them in, in so many ways. The support was incredible. I mean, you could probably hear it from New Zealand just about the yelling from Shibuya. It was that loud. Um, it was, yeah, it was an incredible night for them. And they walked towards that challenge and they embraced it. And what a way to, to, to I guess, you know, pay thanks to the Japanese supporters who have been absolutely phenomenal this World Cup. And not just at Japanese games, of course. They've been brilliant at every other stadium supporting every other team. So it really, really was, I think, a fitting result for Japan and their supporters in the way that they've been running this World Cup. But certainly New Zealand fans could learn a thing or two from these Japanese supporters. They are wonderful. Is that right? And Joe, you, where were you? Were you in a bar somewhere? Yeah, I was in a bar in central Tokyo in Shibuya. Uh, I tried I, the first three bars I tried to go to because not every bar, of course, here is showing the Rugby World Cup. There are a lot less sports bars in Japan than there are in New Zealand. The typical Izakaya bar in Japan can often only fit about four or five people in it with no TV. So there's sort of several venues around Shibuya, which is one of the, the bigger entertainment districts here with the game showing. And the first three out of the five that I've been to, I couldn't get in. I, I showed up an hour before the game. It was already too packed. I couldn't. They were turning me away at the door. So I eventually did find one, and I snuck in, and I was about the third to last person that managed to, managed to get in. Mm. So I was very lucky. And, yeah, it was just an amazing atmosphere, an amazing place, an amazing sort of time to be a part of. And after the game, there were people in tears, Japanese supporters in tears. They couldn't hold it back. There was that much emotion riding on it. I'm happy, very happy, I'm excited. Uh, this is a good time. Uh, we are the champions. That they just let all of it out. The tears were flowing, the cheers were chanting, Nippon, 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 mm. and it was just incredible. Yeah, I'm not, I was lucky that my microphone picked any of it up because I thought it might be all distorted. It was that loud, my ears were ringing. <laughs> so how would it compare to going to a bar here to watch a match? Oh, totally different. You know, you, often you go to a, a bar to watch an All Blacks, say, Springboks game, and if the All Blacks go down by a try, it's this weird, strange, sullen silence and the odd person yelling and cursing at the ref, the odd person yelling and cursing at a South African player. But in the Japanese bar, every time 
the Scottish team did something well, there was cheering for the Scots. Of course, from the Japanese fans, I couldn't find many Scotsmen in the bar. There was a lot of Englishmen cheering for Japan. I can <laughs> tell you that inside. But, uh, but yeah, they, they cheer for both teams. They're very respectful of what they do. And when they get behind, they don't come into their shells. They don't go quiet and sullen. They, in fact, lift their team out of that little rut by cheering and by clapping and by chanting, and they've got special songs. And some. And Michael Leach, of course, as well, a Kiwi-born uh, Japanese player. He's their captain. We all know he's played super rugby for the Chiefs, and he's been in Japan a long time now. He might consider himself more Japanese than Kiwi. But he, every time he got the ball, you just hear this, Leach! 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 He's, he's quite a cult figure over here in Japan. It was really, really something special to behold. I've never seen it before. And yeah, every time he got the ball, this sort of deep throbbing looch would go round the, uh, the bar. It was quite fantastic. Wow. Uh, uh, Joe, I actually read in an article from Mark Hinton at Stuff, who's over there covering it, that a recent poll named him the second most recognisable person in Japan, behind only the Prime Minister. Wow, that is phenomenal. I would not have guessed that, because of course rugby's about the fifth most popular sport in this country, far behind the likes of baseball and football and basketball. So, yeah, um, that's, that is quite incredible. I mean, he is a recognisable fellow. He speaks fluent Japanese. He can write kanji, which is the most difficult of the, of the three written languages here in Japan. And so he's, he's a student of Japan, a student of the language, a student of the culture, and he really has embraced it. And perhaps that goes a long way, I guess, to making him so popular in this country. And, of course, it's the Rugby World Cup. He is the captain, and he's lifted Japan into the quarterfinals for the first time, making history. And he is a phenomenal player, too. He really does lead by example, never takes a backward step. Because he went to Japan, what, when he was only 15 years old? Yeah, that's right. Quite unusual for, for um, you know kids from New Zealand to head over there at high school age. But he, he stayed there the whole time, apart from, of course, a few seasons back playing for the Chiefs. Look, he's that good a player. Mm. Had he stayed in New Zealand, he may well have been an all-black. Um, but he really is, I guess, yeah, the, the figurehead for this Japanese team. And, you know, there is a lot. sometimes there's some criticism from some uneducated quarters around the world that suggest that Japan don't have a lot of homegrown talent, so to speak. But when a guy's been there since he was 14, 15, and has lived most of his life there and considers himself Japanese, has a Japanese passport, Japanese family, of course, I think that those sorts of claims can really be thrown out the window. These guys are largely Japanese and he is, he is certainly one of them. And Joe, just going back to uh, watching the game at the bar, because right at the beginning there was that minute of silence. What was that like? Yeah, it was it was interesting because, there, of course, everyone was very respectful and, and observed the minute silence, and you could see people with their heads bowed. bowed. There were there were some tears, that's for sure, among the supporters there. I don't think anyone there had anyone directly affected by the typhoon, but it's just the nature of the the culture over here is so respectful and so courteous, and I guess they could feel the pain of the others from this typhoon. So it was it was it was a sombre moment before what was a fantastic game. So you know, I'm quite fascinated now by the the brave blossoms. One of the players, a South African, I heard him saying in a, at a press conference that the country is really into the game, and that in fact, 47 percent of the country have watched a game since since the tournament started, which is a heck of a lot of people. Yeah, and that's another great thing about the Japanese culture. You go to these games and, of course, 
they're all sold out, 98% sold out. And you look around the crowd, you know, there's pockets of travelling fans everywhere, but every single game is mostly Japanese, and they'll be wearing one of the two teams that they're supporting, not just the Jap Brave Blossoms, but the All Blacks Namibia game, for example. There was a sea of black jerseys in Japanese faces, but there was also a large collection of Japanese wearing Namibian flags and Namibian jerseys. And so they really buy into it. They support both teams. They go there to cheer for each team, and you can tell... A lot of them are thinking, oh, look, there's going to be a lot of Japanese people here supporting the All Blacks. So, look, I'll go to Namibia today to really give them a boost. And, you know, I was at that game watching it live, and the crowd were desperate for Namibia to score. They really were impressed by the way that team played in that first half. And they were cheering loudly. You would have thought it was a fully and entirely Namibian crowd just about it sometimes. So they back the underdog. They cheer for good rugby. And they cheer for, you know, for a team that's really giving their all against all odds in that sort of sense. And they do support both sides. They are fantastic. They really, yeah. really get involved. And like you say, that many people are watching. So many people have been to a game. I was talking to um, an English expat last night who's got a Japanese wife. He said his wife had not watched a single rugby game before the World Cup. And he told her, look, we're going to go to a few of these games. We might as well watch a couple on TV just to see what it's like. And she was absolutely fascinated with the sport of rugby. And she's watched every single Rugby World Cup game since. And they've been to about three or four games. And she just is a huge, huge rugby fan now. So I think perhaps there had just been some people in Japan that weren't exposed to the sport. Now they've seen it. They're hosting it in their country, which brings a lot of pride with it. And, of course, the Brave Blossoms doing so well helps. Mm. But, yeah, I think a lot of people now have realised that this is a wonderful game to watch, a wonderful game to play, of course, helped by the fact that the Japanese are playing some fantastic rugby, the speed of which they're playing, the accuracy with which they're playing. I mean, I was speaking to fans last night in the bar, both from South Africa, the All Blacks, the English, and they were going, look, we'd rather have Ireland in the quarterfinals than Japan at the moment. You know, we don't want to play Japan in that quarterfinal as an All Blacks fan because they're just playing that well. And the South African guy said, look, I'm nervous. These guys play at such pace. I don't think anyone can match them apart from maybe the All Blacks. It's going to be a very hard game, especially after losing to them four years ago. The problem is they're so deadly with the ball in hand. I won't be sleeping well for the next week, that's for sure. Of course, South Africa were beaten by Japan in the 2015 World Cup, the miracle in Brighton. So, yeah, an amazing, an amazing culture here that is really brought into the sport. South Africa! Yeah, 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 yeah! And there's a goal here to get a million new uh, rugby players within Japan over the next few years on the back of this World Cup. And look, I thought it might be, you know, a a, a lofty goal, a a bridge too far. But seeing what I've seen here today and seeing so many kids and and people after the games practicing sort of fake scrums on the side of the road and chucking balls around and... Even at the airports I've been to, down in Oita, for example, there was a couple of Japanese kids with rugby balls in their hands, and their dad said, oh, they've never played before, but they love the game now, they love the game, and, and they were thrilled just to be able to pass the ball around with me uh, on the forecourt, a Kiwi, of course, chucking the ball around, and it was sort of brought a smile to all their faces, and they loved it. So that, that has been absolutely fantastic, and they've really brought into the sport. And boys and girls playing, Joe, or is it mostly boys? Well, girls want to play. The access to the game here is another story altogether. I mean, it is it is a difficult sport to play. They play on a Sunday. They don't have a lot of grounds in Tokyo. A lot of them are sort of dirt fields with no grass on them. It's a story in itself. It's quite difficult to grow grass in Japan because of the climate. Um, but And at the high schools, of course, it's typically a male game. But there are a few clubs around Tokyo in particular. One of them is the Shibuya Club. 
who is run by uh, a member of the organising committee here. He's the club sort of captain, if you will, one of the Japan Rugby World Cup organising committee members. Um, and they have, every Sunday afternoon, they'll have a girls' tournament. So there'd be literally hundreds, sometimes thousands of girls going down, school, uh, primary school age girls, to, to try out the game of rugby. And I think you'll see the sport grow and grow because there isn't a bias against letting girls play here. People will encourage their daughters to do so. It's more of an access and opportunity issue. The team, uh, the Brave Blossoms, they're a, a, a tier two team. So how have they been so successful? Is there a lot of money? Is that one of the reasons? No, no, it's not money. It's just the fact that they've been allowed to prepare like a tier one team would, essentially. So Jamie Joseph, the coach, former All Black, went to the Japan Rugby Union and said, if we want to succeed at this World Cup, this is what I need to happen. And it's the rugby uh, system in Japan where uh, it's an amateur game and the players all work for companies. And then with the national team, we're really second priority around trying to get the availability of the same players to play for us and help develop them in preparation for the World Cup. So that was a massive challenge. This is the first year that I've had total control of the players. And they were very good in backing him and allowing that to happen. So what would usually happen for Japan in an international rugby year, as well as many other Tier 2 teams like the Pacific Islands, of course, they'd play a couple of games against Tier 1 opposition, token gestures typically, maybe one at the start of the season, one at the end. Then they'll have a sort of Pacific Nations Cup where they'll play each other for a few games. And that's really about it. And the rest of the time, the team will be with their club teams and, and not under the auspices of the national coach. Well, this year was totally different. From about the midway through last year, Jamie Joseph's almost had exclusive access to his team. They've been in camps. They played the All Blacks last year. They beat France last year. They played uh, another Tier 1 nation I can't quite recall off the top of my head last year. They've also played the Pacific Nations Cup this year and some other warm-up games against the likes of Samoa and Fiji. Um, and Argentina. So they've had a, a, a proper build-up, a proper build-up where Jamie Joseph has been able to have these guys in camp. I was here back in February, and they were having a, a two-week-long camp then, getting together and preparing. So it's just they've been allowed to prepare like a Tier 1 team would, with the coach gets access to the players that's uninterrupted, and they've had consistent games against Tier 1 nations. Now, that probably says a lot to you about what could happen in the Pacific Islands if they were given the same stuff. Joe, we get the impression that the Japanese love the All Blacks and that the All Blacks are a bit special. <laughs> but is that just a, oh, a kind yeah. of a bit of a, a twisted view that comes from New Zealand media covering it? No, there's no doubt. You're absolutely on the money. The, the, you know, the All Blacks are Japan's second team, if you will. Uh, and in fact, sometimes you might even think they're first team. But no, not anymore because of the way the Brave Blossoms have been playing. But certainly the All Blacks are Japan's second favourite team. There's a lot of connections between New Zealand rugby and Japan. Every year, there's at least two, three, four hundred Japanese kids that go and play for the likes of Timaru Boys, High Christchurch Boys, Hamilton Boys. There's a lot of uh, Japanese top league players playing in clubs like Porniki and Wellington. So there's a huge connection there. Jamie Joseph, of course, being a former All Black and the coach, Michael Leach in New Zealand, there, and a couple of other Kiwis within that side too. Um, and they, they just love the All Blacks. They love the haka. There's a lot of similarities between Maori and Japanese culture, the language being one, and some of the respect and courteousness and, you know, really respect of elders that comes with it too. So there is some, some similarities there. And the All Blacks have always, you know, been the world's best team. They play a brand of rugby that's exciting. And they just love the All Blacks. I mean, everywhere you go, there are All Blacks jerseys everywhere. Every game you go to that doesn't include the All Blacks, there'll be stands of All Blacks gear for sale and people queuing to buy tops. You cannot walk down the street 
without seeing an All Blacks jersey. They are thick on the ground here. Yeah, I feel sorry for some of the other teams because every time there's an All Blacks game on, it feels like it's a home match. The amount of Japanese support in the crowd for the All Blacks has been phenomenal. Speaking of other teams, um, I was reading that Canada, actually, that that team went out and helped with the clean-up. Yeah, that's right. And that's sort of another thing about the spirit of rugby that the World Cup is trying to promote. You know, often there's a classic old cliche, football is a gentleman's game played by thugs and rugby is a thug's game played by gentlemen. And that's the sort of scene we're seeing carrying out here. They had the game cancelled yesterday against Namibia, their last game. Of course, the Namibians very, very disappointed because they were looking for their first ever World Cup win, denied the chance to do that. Canada looking to finish on a high and send out some of their veterans who this will be their last World Cup and last game in a Canadian jersey. But they didn't mind. They got out, they got out and realised that, of course, rugby pales in comparison to what had happened during Typhoon Hajibis and understood why their game had been called off. And to see them out sweeping the streets of mud, helping the Japanese clean up and uh, and tidy up the area and all that sort of stuff really does sort of bring a smile to, to your dial and a bit of a tear to your eye at times because the Canadians could have sulked, could have been disappointed they didn't get to play they could have sat in their hotel or booked an early flight home and instead they thought, no, let's get out, let's get on with it. Let's show what the spirit of rugby is about in Japan. Repay the Japanese for showing such great support to us. What's it been like for you, Joe? Because you've been there, what, uh, several weeks now? Yeah, oh, it's been amazing. I've just been blown away by the Japanese hospitality, the kindness of the people. The, the, the atmosphere is unrivaled. I've, not, I've been to the 2011 World Cup in New Zealand, of course. I've been to big matches overseas. Uh, as well, I've been to the Commonwealth Games sevens. There's been a lot of places I've been, and nothing can compare to the atmosphere in these Japanese stadiums. It has been absolutely fantastic. The cheers, the songs, the chants that go around the stadiums, full of so much noise and colour and passion, but it's always with an edge of happiness to it because these fans are absolutely electric. And just at the bar last night, I mean, everyone's so friendly. If you're looking slightly lost at a train station, people will walk with you for 45 minutes with no English just to get you to the right station. Uh, Is that right? Oh, it's just just absolutely incredible. You know, you have to tell them, no, no, it's okay. Please, you've probably got work to go to. Go, I'm okay. I I will figure it out. No, they won't take no for an answer. Down in Defa, I was out. I was in a yakitori bar. And I was, you know, having conversations often through Google Translate, and that's my fault for having a lack of Japanese. Most people speak a bit of English um, with these lovely Japanese people. And, you know, by the end of the night, they'd be trying to pay for your dinner, shoving 20,000 yen notes in your pocket, and you're saying, no, I can't accept this. I can't put putting it back in their pocket. No, we must pay. We must pay. It's been so nice to hear. These people are so kind. They really are um, a fantastic people. It's fantastic people. That's Joe Porter, and that's the detail for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. Mā te wā.